Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's returning guest, making his return from episode 86. He's represented Canada at U21 World Championships. He's got a U24 silver medal at Beach Nationals. He's a University of Guelph alumni, also Waterloo, but I don't believe he got to wear the Warriors jersey. We'll find out in a second. And you may recognize his voice as the smooth announcer at Beach Canada Games. Please welcome back to the show, Robbie Abrams. Robbie, thanks for doing this, man. Oh, no, thanks for having me on, Josh. Really appreciate it. I'm excited to get back. Episode 87, that was the last time I was on, eh? Yeah, you and Steve uh, really took us by storm there. And uh, obviously, like, you did such a good job that we just cut your bro. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. We don't need him. And and, uh, and I feel like the last time the big theme was the Mega Bowl. That was our, our big topic. And then we had a two-year hiatus from that. And so now, now we're back again after our, our Mega Bowl 2022. Now that I say this out loud, though, I'm sure like the one loyal listener who actually pays attention, uh, Stephen came on with Johnny once. So I think this actually ties you guys up in appearances where I say we cut your brother, but he has more appearances up until right now. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'll have to do more interesting things in the volleyball world. <laughs> Maybe I'll get back on more often. Uh, so for any of our listeners who were lucky enough to be in the Niagara area and got to see you be like the MC for the Beach Canada Games, I just have to let them in behind the curtain where uh, I'll take a little bit of credit here. Uh, Sherry and the great organizers there, Donna and everyone else involved there, uh, they were asking for announcers and I was the one who put your name forward. And man, did you make me look good. The amount of texts I was getting over the weekend and I was able to stop by for a day. I thought you were absolutely crushing it. So uh, the, I thought the funniest part of the weekend was when you when you and I saw each other in person, you're like, oh, man, thanks. Like, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Thanks for, like, uh, putting my name for it. I was like, dude, thank you. Like, you kind of bailed us out. We were looking for somebody of quality, and you stepped in. So I'm glad we both looked good at the end of this. Oh, it was it was a, a incredible experience. And, I mean, I was super grateful that, that I, I got the nod and the, the blessing from the, the beach side of Olive Canada, which was obviously obviously uh, you and, and some of the guys. I know, like, everybody was really excited and kind of pushed me to doing it. And I, I, I couldn't, couldn't have had a better experience. I think that going into it, I, you know, there's, you really don't know what to expect, right? Because every single one of these Canada games are so different. I mean, the last one was in Winnipeg and it, and it was, I think it was even more than four years ago, just because of COVID. Mm -hmm. We got pushed a little bit, a little bit even further. So, um, to, to be able to step in and, and take over that experience was like, you know, something I never thought I'd have an opportunity to do and, and doing it and being able to put on an event for all the athletes and kind of seeing the impact we're able to have, like, one of, one of the coolest experiences of my life and I wasn't even playing. Yeah, so cool to hear. So for our listeners, why your name came to, to mind and why I was so confident in just passing your name through and I'm glad you were interested is uh, I believe you did the live stream when you were at Waterloo and I thought you did a great job of like keeping it educational. I don't know, like educational, entertaining all at the same time. I, I think you did a good job. You represented Canada. Uh, your little brother was playing. So I imagine you were going to be at the games anyways, like you're an Ontario guy. So it just checked a lot of boxes, but uh, I am curious, what was your strategy going in? Cause you can like read bios and stuff there, but I feel like the beach guy has to be able to like influence the crowd a little bit, make it fun where there's going to be people there who don't even know the rules of our sport where you're going to have to make it like, Oh, let's go watch the volleyball. Cause they play music and they have an announcer and it's fun. So what was kind of like your prep or what was the first few days like to make it like fun for you? So you could therefore make it fun for the crowd. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, that's the, it's the funny thing. Anytime you do volleyball is one of those sports where it's not, it's not mainstream enough that the average person can walk in off the street and know exactly what's going on. But then you're also at an event that's extremely niche at a games, like, like the Canada games where you've got lots of fans who do know exactly what's going on. So you can't, can't be pandering to one and not to the other. So that, that it, it's a huge balance. And so for me, 
I mean, taking a step back, the, the first thing to prepare to go to the event, um, I, I did a little bit of research with Volleyball Kids Volleyball Canada and the, the different organizing committees and tried to get a little bit of background on all the different teams and where they were coming from. Um, a lot of them are just because of the nature of the event and the age limits, uh, almost all the athletes were university age, so that most of them play somewhere. So for me, my goal coming in, before any of the games even started, I want to know who every athlete was from each of the different delegations. Um, some were easier to track down than others. Um, and then where where they played volleyball or what their experience in the volleyball community had been going into the Canada Games. And then that's what I kind of armed myself with. And I tried to meet all of them before we started the event. So I went in on the, there's a couple of practice days on the Saturday and Sunday leading into the tournament, which started on the Monday. So I went in, um, wasn't too far from where I am in Hamilton, went down and, and met a lot of the athletes and coaches beforehand. And that went a long way to kind of making the experience a little bit more seamless once we started. And then once we got into the event on the Monday, I don't think anyone knew exactly how it was going to go. Um, and of course, like any great large scale event, the first day was pouring rain. <laughs> just, just an absolute storm. But I think that actually lightened the mood because it was not the environment everybody was uh, kind of expecting. But we had a lot of fans weather the storm. So even though we got these torrential downpours, which is you know, not maybe ideal conditions for a beach volleyball event. We've got 100, 150 fans on day one of beach volleyball, the Canada Games, which is incredible just because they were so excited to, to see the events going on. And so um, we we had basically the setup at the event was there was the, the, the show court or court one, the main court. Um, and that's where I was set up in my little booth, my little tent with the with the mic. Then there's two other courts where games were being, being played and there was practice courts as well. But the show court was kind of on one side of the venue, um, and there was always a game going on there, kind of 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. the entire day. And so whenever we started a match, we always went and talked to the teams, uh, joked around a little bit, because a lot of the times they were quite nervous. It's just the first time they've been at, at a major event. Uh, most of the teams had it, just don't have a ton of experience at major beach volleyball events because it's still a growing sport in Canada. So it's fantastic to see that we have teams from all across the country but certain provinces have teams that have seen these types of events before. You've got the Ontario guys, the Alberta guys, the Quebec guys, and the BC guys who have these have had chances to have these fantastic experiences at events run by the OBA, by by Volleyball Quebec, or I mean, the Van Open had kind of been the the last event kind of leading up to this, and a few of the teams had attended and seen the vibe. But I think nobody was really expecting to know what Canada Games would be like being another one of these big venues where. They do have the staffing. They do have the volunteers to really put on a show. Um, and then and then from there, the, the games kicked off. And, uh, you know, it probably took me a couple of games to maybe get comfortable making making the, the event a little bit fun. Um, because being a games, you're, you're, you're walking a fine line um, between making it a special experience for the athletes and making sure everyone's feeling good and kind of keeping the mood light and cracking some jokes. So I would say we definitely erred on the side of uh, we tried not to be um, poking too much fun of the athletes themselves, more just the experience and really having fun with great plays, recognizing incredible volleyball. Um, we did see some lopsided games. We saw some teams really struggle. We saw some teams play really well. And so the role I, I tried to take on is, as the commentator, the announcer for the event you know, you're, you're making a comment, you're saying something almost after every single point of the event. So there's actually quite a bit of talking in between beach volleyball, because anyone knows, 
there's a lot of downtime in a volleyball game, whether it's technical timeouts, whether it's side switches. Um, so it was it was quite often uh, just managing the game a little bit from a from a commentary perspective. So you know, anytime we'd get a we'd get a big rally, it's getting the crowd fired up, it's getting out of the tent and trying to like you know really you know commend a team that has done something really well, and then also you know lift up a team that's maybe feeling like they're down a little bit on energy. And so, you know, you kind of get the vibe depending on the team. Sometimes you need to crack a joke about, you know, a funny visor somebody's wearing. Um, I know one of the BC guys, uh, Luke DeGrief, he, he wore this like bright yellow backwards visor all week. And it was kind of, it was, it's hilarious because like everyone else is wearing their very formal provincial gear. And he's just got this clearly not BC issue, uh, you know, bright yellow visor all week. And, you know, certain athletes, you know, enjoy that sort of thing. And, and so, you know, whenever he do something, we'd always make a fun visor comment. And then other, other teams, a lot of the women's teams, I think, didn't have as much experience playing beach volleyball, you know, at big events. Um, and so it was kind of fun to see teams where I think we're excited to get on the show court to just hear what kind of little funny comments we'll, we'll make, you know, about certain points or whatever. And, and I think it was even fun over, over the course of the week, different people, would come up and be like, oh, you got to, you got to make a funny comment about this or that throughout the whole week. We, we got a lot of laughs, I think, not just from the athletes, and the coaches, but also from the fans. Yeah, that, that's so cool to hear your perspective. I got to know, you, you mentioned the athletes are nervous. One thing that uh, my partner in crime here, Garrett, he felt the officials, you know, they tend to take things a little too seriously. So he tried to make them like dance on the technical or the in between sets or like he tried to like get them to acknowledge their personality. Uh, I, I was wondering, were you taking a different approach or were you pretty loose with the officials? Obviously, like you can't uh, have a ref make a call and be like, oh, that was terrible. Like You can't like they're they're working for the event as well, right? Oh, exactly. My, my, probably my two favorite things to do with the, with the refs. And they're awesome because you're going to, you're doing an intro for the, the officials before every match as much as doing the, the athletes. So you're recognizing them being there. And so my, my two favorites is we'd often, uh, you know, we'd give it a different nickname to all the, the all the different officials as they'd come out. Like they're, you know, one of the, one of the officials was always on the lines. And so we, you know, we'd call him Hawkeye. And he was, and, and, and that, and that really got a laugh because I think the fans after some time, they're all sitting there waiting for the athletes to be announced, especially they're waiting for their province to be announced, their territory to be announced. And at fir first we go through the officials, people put that in the back of their mind. And then as soon as you say something people aren't expecting, you've got everybody's attention. Um, so it's kind of funny that way. And then naturally, I mean, you touched on it when, when athletes are a call, a controversial call is made. That's always the most tense time as a commentator because you, you can't really provide an, an opinion on what happened in the rally. My favorite thing to, my favorite thing to kind of say is, you know, when something does happen, the athletes will go up and, and, and usually talk to them. Usually they're arguing their call. Like I know as an athlete, you have some not always PG things to say to the referee when a call doesn't go your way. And so my, I think I used the same line about 10 times over the week, but every time an athlete would go up and would be arguing with the ref, I'd be like, oh, so-and-so is over there uh, just telling the ref to do an absolutely fantastic job, <laughs> and they're just really happy to be here at the Canada Games, so thankful that they're on the stand. Uh, so, it's, you know, you, you got to keep it kind of light. I, I definitely stay tried to avoid any sort of controversy whatsoever uh, <laughs> with, the, with the officials, because ultimately... 
the, the officials are there as much as I'm there kind of in a more of a overseeing capacity. And like, I have to have lunch with the officials after the game. So I got to be careful what I say. Uh, but we, we kept it pretty fun. And, and even the volunteers uh, who do the the scorekeeping and the, the flipping of the score, you know, it, that's not always perfect. There's things happen in a game and, and the score can be wrong. And we all know how parents get when the score is wrong for their, for their child or any sort any type of supporter when the, when the scorekeeper makes an innocent mistake and they flip it to one side instead of the other, or they get the scores mixed up with the side switch. So we had a lot, a lot of fun with the, with the scorekeepers as well. And I, you know, as much as we shout out the officials also got to shout out the, the volunteers, and the scorekeepers, because that event, I couldn't believe how many volunteers it takes to run even just the beach volleyball portion of the Canada games. It's absolutely like there's hundreds and hundreds, like how many volunteers who, who kind of, play different roles that you never would expect, not just on the court, you know, raking, doing the score, running score sheets and stuff, but greeting people as they come into the venue, uh, directing people towards the drink tent, (laughs) (laughs) stuff like that. So it's cool that you had to stay neutral on like the obvious ones, like the the staff, because I mean, you're both there to like serve the event, like you said, with the volunteers and the officials and everyone else involved. The other one that you had to toe a line on that I think uh, you may have had to go on the aggressive side just so the crowd didn't get on you is your little brother is is legit. And I say that as a guy who got to work with him this summer, like he, he wins the Canada Games trial. So he's going to represent Ontario. He wins the FISU trial. So he's going to represent Canada uh, third at Vancouver Open. I, I mean, they, they won some great games that this summer. So what was it like having to announce your little brother, Steven and not seem like his biggest fan, which I, I know you appreciate his game and you've coached him before and you guys have had some battles in the backyard. Like what was it like having the audience kind of know that like you could razz with him a little bit? Well, I think that that was maybe the biggest buildup that, that no one knew about except us going into the, going into the event. Um, and it was interesting because we, we started the week, we knew I was going to be doing the, the commentating on the center court. So we're kind of looking down the schedule. We're like, Oh, when are Steven and Johnny, Team Ontario, my brother and you know one of my really good buddies and Johnny too, going to end up on the center court? You assume they would do it at some point. They, they had a lot of success going into the season. We're looking, and they were the only team that didn't have a pool play game on center court, just, just the way it worked out. So we were like, oh, okay, well, their pre-quarter wouldn't be, their quarter wouldn't be. So it wasn't until the semifinals that Steven and Johnny got onto the center court, uh, which, was, which was interesting because now... I've got all these lines I've been stockpiling all week. I'm going to get out there and razz Steven about, but it's a semifinal game at Canada games. And it's a bit of a fine line between, you know, you want them to have a really good experience and you don't want to like say something that's going to put them off on the court. But at the same time, you only got so many opportunities to be on the mic when your brother's playing in a game in front of a couple hundred people. So have to take advantage. So we we were fortunate that they had a really good start to their, their semifinal game, which allowed me to kind of open the, the floodgates a little bit. And so I, I spent a lot of the game roasting Steven, you know, different comments. I think one time he he had he had a really big swing and you know I hit him with the old, wow, that guy's stronger than he looks. <laughs> and that and that just got there it was since we were at home in Ontario, we're in Niagara region, I'd say there's two hundred Ontario fans from miscellaneous events who have just come to watch, you know, Team Ontario play in the semis. And they, they hear me say, say this line about the Ontario guy, just completely disparaging him and like making fun of Steven because he's always been kind of the skinny guy, even though he's not that skinny anymore. But just an absolute razz. 
And I probably get, you know, all the moms in the crowd just shoot their eyes over to the, the tent where I've got the mic going on. Like, did you just say that about an Ontario team? Like, are you allowed to say that? And so what ha- what happened was, as this game goes on, I'm making more and more comments, you know, make something, you know, net's too high for Steven. You know, I don't think he knows how big the court is. And finally makes a mistake. He hits one out. Like, we're, I'm really laying into him. And they're... Like Ontario is winning. They're doing it. They're having a great game. So I'm really nitpicking when I'm making fun of Steven. Like he hits a two ball out of bounds. Oh, that's a, that was a big moment. We really laid into him there. But what happened was is the team Ontario girls ended up, they were sitting kind of in the middle of the crowd. And so as the game went on, it, the word spread that Steven and I were brothers. <laughs> so it went from at the beginning of the game to people were like, you can't say that. Like, how are you saying that to like, get him again, get him again. What are you going to say next? So that was a lot of fun. And it was a really special moment to be able to do that. And then uh, the, the guys ended up winning the semis and obviously we're coming back to the gold medal game. And, and then in the gold medal game, naturally by this point, everyone knows we're brothers and people are just expecting, expecting the, uh, expecting me to say something good. So I had to kind of, I had to get a good, we did like player intros for the, for the gold medal matches. So after the week, I got to know a lot of the guys and and girls on, on all sides. So did a little bit of commentary, like, like they were playing team BC. So I made a comment about Luke to grief and the, and the backwards visor and Dan Everton and him and the monster blocks. And they, you know, they had had a fantastic week leading up, made a great comment about Johnny and then Steven's coming out thinking I'm going to give him something good. You know, I've been really harsh on him all week. And I come out with the old, uh, he's not even, he's the second best beach volleyball player in his family, comment. <laughs> so that was, that was good. That got a, that got a big laugh from the crowd, which I know is a big win. And I think Steve might, Steve still was letting me know the other day when I was chatting with him, he's like, I still can't believe you. You gave everybody else the big, the big intro. And then mine was such a, such a letdown, but, I still think uh, I still think a good a good laugh from the uh, from the audience from the fans is always better than a big cheer. Anyways, if you can if you can get a big smile on everybody's face, that's that's what it's all about. For sure, for sure. So to to switch gears here, one event where you don't have to stay neutral is uh, the Mega Bowl, and you guys did it big this year. And I hope I'm not speaking at a turn that this was top secret because I think the only guys who got to see it were the ones invited. But uh, you went out of your way and got a cameo done to announce that the event was happening, and then sent it around. So just take it from there that like uh, you got a, a pretty big celebrity to announce to the boys that the Mega Bowl was back. Yeah, we did. So the Mega Bowl, after after a two-year hiatus because of COVID, the, the Mega Bowl taking place in an undisclosed location in Georgetown, Ontario. Um, it's, uh, we, we knew we had to do something big this year. Steve and I spent hours discussing how we were going to, to send out the invitations to, the to, I mean, they're our friends, but also, you know, the, the athletes for the event because it is a pretty exclusive, exclusive uh, grass volleyball event in the backyard. So we we actually reached out to uh, you know a good buddy via cameo, uh, James Duffy. From uh, I think you know, people will know him from TSN and just being an all-around great sports celebrity in, in Canada. And uh, we we had we had James put together a little bit of an invitation video for all the all the athletes. And so we we had him record like a a one-minute video about uh, you know how how these athletes have reached the, the peak of their athletic existence and 
you know, the, we can't, uh, this is an opportunity that you can't miss. It's a, it's a, it's an invite only event, super exclusive club, the, the backyard mega bowl, second annual. Um, and, and so we sent that out to the guys and we got some fantastic responses. I think our, our acceptance rate was, uh, 90% for the event. We only had one person decline this year. Um, I think it's okay for me to say his name. Pierce Johnson knows who he is. That guy's not coming back on the show now that I know he declined the Mega Bowl. Yeah, he declined the Mega Bowl. He had a, a prior engagement or something. I'm not not quite sure. We're pretty sure we saw him at a concert that night. Um, Tough so that was so we yeah we turned it into a big event this year. It wasn't just obviously the the, the volleyball event is, is the feature, but we had a we actually had a golf tournament in the morning with the group of guys. Um, and so we went from golf tournament with the, the twelve guys in the, in the match into the uh, the Mega Bowl in the afternoon and. We had had a couple of new faces um, that we haven't had in, in past years. We had, uh, who do we have? We had Cam Chadwick made his way down for the event. Never heard of him. Uh, never heard of him. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah that, that's that's the event, right? Most people have never heard of the event. Some people have never even heard of the players. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cam Chadwick, got Zach Newman, who made his appearance. And uh, we even had Ken Kerr didn't play, but he was sitting on the sidelines. Um, just, just chirping people the entire game. Um, he, he came a little bit late, but he was just sitting there with a beer in hand, just, just letting people know their mistakes. So one part that I, I love about the Mega Bowl is, is one, the, the spirit and just the joy that you have so many friends who are good at volleyball that you can run basically a backyard game that is like U sports quality. Uh, but the draft always thrills me. So how did you and Steven decide who, how, who, excuse me, how and who was going to get the first overall pick? Cause you guys compete for it. It's not a coin toss. No, it, it's not a coin toss, um, but it, it is a it's, it's an interesting event because we actually do it based on uh, based on uh, the past performance. Oh, I thought there was like a Mario Kart battle. Was that only for the first well, year? It was for the first year because we didn't have any uh, we didn't have any any other way to do it. Uh, the first year we we did like a, a basically a, a full day multi sport one on one <laughs> event to determine who who got the first pick, um, and then from there. As the reigning champion, I was able to choose whether I wanted to have the first pick or not. Uh, so that 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 was that that kept me up for about three straight nights trying to decide how, which direction I was going to go in the draft. Mainly because the player pool wasn't established, so I had to decide where I was going to pick before we knew everyone who was coming to the tournament. Which that's actually a really hard thing to do to draft when you go decide your draft order where you don't even know who's competing. But uh, I ended up going with the first overall pick. I can't disclose what order athletes were drafted in, obviously. Um, but like we know. What we know. <laughs> we, we know. We know. Johnny Pickett was the last pick in the draft. I'll just say that. <laughs> no. Your first overall pick, first overall pick was Johnny Pickett. I actually, we actually ended up running back almost the exact same team that, that, that won it the first time around. We, I think we only had one, one different player. Um, and it, it ended up being it, it ended up being a mostly a Guelph Griffin lineup, or former Guelph Griffins and exist current Guelph Griffin lineup. Um, and and I'm, I'm I'm proud to say that uh, I, I was able to defend my my title. So I am now two and zero in the Mega Bowl. Well, congratulations on that. Any any highs or lows you would like to point out from the event? Uh, anyone uh, really impress you, or anyone have like an absolute just fold up? Some people are not going to be happy for me to for me to be sharing this, some of these details, but uh, I would say high point. I would say 
were the non-OUA athletes. There was there's four athletes in the game who have never competed in the OUA, have no no desire ever to play OUA volleyball, and they were probably some of the top performers in the game. Who you'd have to be a real volleyball sicko to know who they were because they only ever played at the club level, um, and they 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 were competing with some of the top players in the OUA right now and former OUA players. So I would say. Uh, those those were some of the high performers. I would say Stephen Abrams on the on the left. He was hitting left side, and you know we all know he's a he's a big indoor libero, um, and and obviously his performance as a left side in the Mega Bowl is zero and two. Um, doesn't really inspire confidence for him being an outside hitter. So I would say he was probably a he was probably a big zero for his team. Um, Stephen was, and then uh, we did have Stephen. Stephen will tell you the reason he lost is because he had one athlete on his team show up extremely, extremely uh, hungover, and uh, that that did not help the, the performance in, in any way at all. To the point where they will not be invited back next year. Uh, no, because they're one of my best friends. <laughs> to the point where, to the point where uh, they, Stephen won't be picking them for his team next year. I can tell you that right now. But now you have a late round steal, and if they if they behave, oh exactly. It was a it was a it was a it was a long game play by me. Uh, so it was one of one of my good buddies, uh, Zach Newman, you know, two time OUA All Star, great, fantastic indoor player, um, and he he, uh, he we did the draft the day before, so he knew that he wasn't on my team, and, and him and, and one of the the veterans, the OGs from the from the Mega Bowl, Josh Green. Another OUA All Star from Guelph. Um, they uh, they were they were together the night before the Mega Bowl, and uh, and uh, since Josh was going to be on my team and Zach was on Steven's team, uh, I, I tasked Josh to to make sure Zach was not going to be feeling himself the next day. Zach certainly wasn't, and uh, I think that was a major contributing factor. Steven took Zach, but the number two overall pick. Oh, that's rough. Now, I do have to ask, as a real journalist and somebody who just yeah. likes to keep it spicy sometimes, were these guys OUA All-Stars when the league actually had real awards or when they split East-West? Because friend of the show, Sean McKay, I think figured out that about 40% of the OUA wins an award every year because when they split East-West, they have a first team, a second team, a rookie team. That basically, if you start on your team, you're probably going to get an All-Star in the OUA the way they did it in years past. Yeah, at some point in your career, you're just bound to stumble into it. If you, <laughs> if, you, if you play in every set for the season. If your hitting percentage was above your weight, like, oh, this guy hits 240. Oh, then he's an all-star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think, I'm, I'm thinking now, Zach definitely, I think, won one before it was split. Because those guys, him and Josh, would have been, like, in the middle of the, went, like, they would have been in the league, kind of, in the middle of that changeover. Because all the younger guys now, like the Johnny Pickett, the Stevens, the the guys who are playing now, like Pierce Johnson, Player of the Year. I mean, totally overrated, I think. Yeah, well, that guy. Well, that's why he didn't get invited. It, it, you know, he won't come back because he didn't. He only won half of a Player of the Year award. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love Pierce. We love Pierce. We love Pierce. It's all up, but it's true. There, that is an incredible stat, and when you phrase it that. 40% of the league wins in a war. I'm popping off. It's not, I don't think it's quite 40, but when Sean added it up, it was like a, a large percentage of OUA athletes get an all-star based on like the number of ballots they have to fill. Yeah. Cool. Cause it's 14 guys in each 14. I mean, girls, and guys. 14 guys out of like five or six teams. 
yeah, on each side, and then plus 14, seven on each side of rookies. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think of all the awards that are getting absolutely juiced, the rookie is the one that maybe is the most because already a lot of rookies don't play. Like you're getting rookies who are named to the all rookie team, and they're they're playing like thirty percent of the sets for their team, right? Because they they don't even need to play all the games; they only need to play half the games. You got coaches at the end of the year looking at their lineup, saying like, man. This guy's played in three sets all year. We're out of the playoffs. So I'm just going to play him for the last three games of the year. He'll be on the all. He'll be an all star. Yeah, he'll be like. And then now I can say I've got an all rookie guy, but that's only because you played him. Like one point three kills per set, all star. Well, you, you don't even you don't even know it. You kill stati- performance statistics don't matter for rookies. You just need to have it just that that column that says matches played and sets played. That's all that that's the only box that needs to be checked. I'm pretty sure there was a guy. I'm not as good with the young guys these days, but I'm pretty sure there was a guy. I was joking with Steven about it, who was on the all rookie team last year. And he was a serving specialist and he just came in to serve and play the back row. And again, in this super important role. But like, is that a guy that should be winning uh, a league wide award? I mean, it's like it's like if a third line player on the Leafs is making an all you know an all Canadian team. Like it's it's, it's kind of like how at what point does something that is supposed to be kind of an elite club become just something that, like you said, I mean, it's obviously not forty percent, but something that a third of the league is going to get recognized for at some point. Well, I mean, we are a volleyball show, but uh, I was going to have a mini freak out if uh, any hockey fans out there, Michael Bunting won Rookie of the Year. I think I'm only like four years older than him, and he almost won Rookie of the Year. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I am a big Leafs fan, and I, I do think you're right. Like, it's what it depends on what kind of award it is. Is it like a rookie award in the sense that you are a rookie emotionally and physically and being like young, or are you a rookie in the sense that you haven't played at that level before? He was on like his third team. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, well that's because the NHL has those rules about number of games. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I, I digress. Anyways, that, that's hockey. That's a different podcast. <laughs> we'll have to have you back on Sharp Cuts so we can dive into this deeper and maybe have Pierce to defend himself. But uh, as the guy who's been on, I think the Passing Dimes franchise and Sharp Cuts the most, I mean, it's just fun to razz him because I know he can definitely take it. And he's definitely going to swing back as soon as he hears this one. But uh, the, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you now that we're just both popping off and telling stories is... On this show, I've met a lot of people and obviously just had my first conversation with them on the air. But one thing I've learned is the city of Calgary produces volleyball players at an extremely high rate and especially at the, at the U sports and CCAA level where your brother caught wind of this and he goes, don't sleep on Georgetown. And I thought he was joking, just being like a proud hometown guy. And then we're adding it up and it's like it, it, it's it's a handful of guys who have played for Canada in a in a community that doesn't have a beach court or maybe has one beach court. And it's like you and your brother have both played for Canada. Jake McNeil is on the national team and does great things. He won an FIB medal this year. Uh, Reed Hall did great things. I, I don't know which one, but from team Charizard, Charlie or Cam, one of them representing us at U19 worlds right now is from Georgetown. The Veltman sisters are from Georgetown. She's not a beach player, but Caitlin Wark is a heck of a volleyball player. She's from Georgetown. And, and this is people like I, I'm forgetting a few, like what is going on in the community of Georgetown that's produced 
we've seen so many high level volleyball players. Uh, Coppers, I think, is a Georgetown guy. Zach Albert played Beach, and, and he's gonna. Well, Zach Albert's gonna play university again on his, his fourth backpack. Like most people play for four clubs and get four backpacks, he's on four universities. So good for that guy. But uh, the Georgetown community, and if, if we're counting Zach Albert, how are we not counting Janelle Albert, who's a fantastic volleyball player? So what is in the water in Georgetown? And that Jake's sister played at the NCAA. Like there's just so many great athletes. Yeah. And it's, it's an interesting thing because almost all those athletes have taken different paths to becoming very good at their sport, whether it's an indoor or beach ball, because like you said, the core of the problem doesn't really solve itself in the sense that, you know, there are no beach volleyball courts in Georgetown. There are no functional beach volleyball courts. Um, We've for years, we've, Many different people have tried. I know Reed Hall was probably maybe the first one who kind of really pushed to get beach volleyball courts in Georgetown. And, and to his credit, um, he was able to negotiate with uh, Nashville North, which is a, uh, we'll call it a dive bar, and that's being generous. Um, <laughs> on the outskirts of Georgetown. Well, no free ads on the show. It's, <laughs> it's, a big, it's a big country. I actually think it's been condemned. Um, Maybe by the time this podcast goes live, the, the bar will be demolished. Uh, I think that, that's where it's sitting right now. But he actually got four beach courts put in behind this uh, this like old country bar. And that's where uh, Jake used to train. I used to train. Ken used to train. Steven trained growing up when he was a little bit younger. Um, and then the courts got overrun by uh, uh, non-volleyball players. Uh, and, and the bar kind of took over. But for years, there has not been really a place to play in Georgetown. So it kind of makes you think like, well, where, where are all these great athletes coming from? And I, I do think a lot of it actually comes from not, not only the, the local volleyball club, which is Georgetown Impact Volleyball, where a lot of those athletes played at one time or another, especially on the women's side, because that was a, a larger part of um, the club for a long time. But the, I think that club is is mainly run by teachers in the community. Um, that's how it was founded was by teachers in the community. Um, and, and, and to this day, I think uh, the majority of the coaches and the executive from that, that club, that Georgetown impact club, um, teach at schools in Georgetown, especially at like the grade six to eight level, which I think is a lot of the time when young beach volleyball athletes or not just beach volleyball, but any volleyball athlete kind of starts their career because, for whatever reason, volleyball starts slightly later in life compared to some of those other sports like hockey, basketball, soccer. So I think what it is, is there's a really strong influence in those middling grades, six to eight, um, in Georgetown for volleyball to get kids interested, uh, kind of showing them there's a different opportunity outside of, um, outside of, of, you know, some of the more traditional sports to kind of really succeed. Um, and, it, and there's just been some really good coaches. Like I know if you ask any of those athletes from Reed to Steven to Jake to JJ um, and, and, and anyone in between, they would say they've, they've had a really good coach in their school volleyball system, which I think that often gets overlooked with young athletes, how much of an impact it actually has, because often that's your first introduction. I mean, you've got clubs like Pac-Man um, down in London. There's some great clubs. They've got the Preds who do a fantastic job with grassroots volleyball. But, but ultimately, most athletes start their volleyball career in school and so having a really strong coach in your school system really has a big impact on like your ability to 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 fall in love with the sport at a young age and then continue to pursue it at the club level and then on the flip side i think some of those athletes you mentioned like brandon coppers janelle albert zach albert i mean 
they have been significantly influenced. Even uh, Charlie Windsor, I think now, um, they've been significantly influenced by by Pac-Man as well. Um, and it pains me because that was always a big rivalry growing up for me to to give Pac-Man some some kudos. But but they do have a huge influence on on the volleyball community, not just within kind of their home base in the field region, but but beyond as well. I know Janelle and Zach's dad coached there for a long time. I think he still does. Mike Albert, I think he still coaches at Pac-Man. And obviously he had a big impact there, pulling people from Georgetown. Um, and, and I think that's what it is. For guys, for a long time, there wasn't guys volleyball in Georgetown. I remember my team when I was in six, when I, I was 15 and Jake was 15, um, we, we, we had to pull, we had to play a year up because we couldn't get enough guys at our own age to play volleyball in Georgetown. Um, so we started the first guys side of, of, of impact volleyball and, and little did we know that we were starting this club with, with, a, you know, a number of a ragtag group of guys who hadn't played club volleyball. Little did we know Brandon Coppers was over just absolutely dominating and he lived right down the road from all of us. And I think if we had recruited a little bit harder back in 16U, I think we maybe could have, could have pulled him over to the back, back to the, the hometown team for, for a, another run when we were a little bit older, but that, that wasn't meant to be. And he's having, you know, all, all, all sorts of success um, on the indoor volleyball side. And yeah, it, it's incredible how deep Georgetown is. Our, our, the, the per person uh, volleyball players who have reached, even if you just count the, the OUA varsity level, um, for Georgetown it is is absolutely astounding, and I know there's there's some great young guys coming up in the pipeline. I saw Charlie's at his worlds right now. I think and they won their their game today. Um, no, they did not win their game today. I'm hearing, uh, but I they they won their one of their games in the tournament because I saw them on volleyball campus. Uh, the women definitely won. The guys uh, we only played once today, and uh, we did not take it down, but. Uh, they settled in nicely. It was one of those uh, welcome to the show moments where uh, they went down seven nothing, and I believe lost the first set twenty one ten, and were tied at nineteen in the second set. So one of those like have a mini freak out, but then recover. So I'm glad they didn't get like ten to nine. They they had a battle, right? So well, and that's good. I mean, even just those experiences of going to a world and seeing that for someone who you know, for me, it was just like that growing up in like a small town, and suddenly you find yourself you've you've played really well in Ontario and on the OVA circuit, and then you you do really well at a try at one of those trials for the worlds, and suddenly you're getting to compete with people from all over the world. It can be a wild experience, but but yeah, back to Georgetown. It's it's incredible that there are. Um, so many great athletes that have come into the town and have all taken different paths. And I think, I think we all, I think, I think if you ask any of them, they all would be surprised just like we are reflecting back on all the other people that are from Georgetown because, well, a lot of athletes have built off each other. I know like I was significantly influenced by having Jake as someone who was a big beach volleyball, um, you know, influence in Georgetown. And then I think as a cascading effect, I probably took it to another level by running kind of the beach side of things and, and, you know, helping, you know, my brother grow and his group of friends play a lot of volleyball. And I know now there's, like we said, Charlie's out there doing great things um, on the beach side at U19 Worlds right now. I know um, there's some more great talent coming up the pipeline. I think there's a, another uh, young guy, I think he's 15 or 16 year named Will Basilio, who's just absolutely dominating at his age group and, and competing with guys a few years older. He's a, a star for Pac-Man. 
And, and we know that family really well because his oldest brother, his second oldest brother was Stephen's first beach partner. And I coached them when they were 10 years old. And Will was just like four. And now he's, you know, a 16 year old who's, you know, got a really bright future in volleyball. So it's really neat to see that, you, you know, one, one, one person really affects another and it kind of has a, a cascading, a butterfly effect to kind of, you know, impact more and more people. And I think Georgetown's now kind of become a hub for, for volleyball with a lot of athletes that are, are ready and willing to, to give back and, and help the next generation. I think that's like really cool to see. And, um, cause I remember like Jake and I would go do workouts with Reed when he was just starting his fitness business, you know, cause now he's got this incredibly successful, he is the guy for, um, beach volleyball and, and volleyball physical training. And I remember we would do sessions with him when he just had a few weights and we were out behind Nashville North doing sessions when he was kicking off his, his kind of his business. And now, and then we ran a beach club for a long time and helped grow Steven and, and his group of friends. And now they're giving back coaching, doing different things. And it's really cool to see that, that the, the base of volleyball and the excitement for volleyball has kind of grown as the years have gone on. And it is odd. There must be something in the water in Georgetown that there are enough good athletes that can compete. <laughs> yeah. Ballpark it for me. What is the, the population of Georgetown? About 35,000. If you just look at Georgetown alone. So Over yeah, don't get me wrong. Like it's, you're, you're not growing up in, in beautiful Wingham, Ontario, where like you guys did have resources to go to a bigger center that was in when driving distance. Like uh, obviously Jake grew up there, but I remember he was like a 14 or a 15 year old and he would like drive to Toronto and train with Hernandez beach club a couple of days a week. Right. There, there was access or like you said, like the, they start with the, the local club and then they can go play for Pac-Man or another club. So they're, it's not like a total disadvantage thing. Like if anyone in like North Bay is listening saying like, Hey, like they're, they're a driving distance to go play for like other coaches and stuff. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned it did start with like, it's got to start somewhere and it's starting in the grade school and it's starting with teachers where uh, I, I totally agree with you. I think the next layer is to use all these people and to make role models out of them. Like uh, people should be looking up to the Abrams family and to Jake McNeil and the coppers and all these people, because uh, it, it is great what you guys have accomplished, but you're right without people volunteering in the community or making gyms available or are making it accessible to start that you don't have this many good volleyball players because uh, you and Jake could have very easily been good hockey players or, or Brennan Coppers could be playing another sport or, or the Veltman family is famous for lacrosse. Like those girls could easily be playing lacrosse somewhere. So it, it is cool that like teachers somehow got them hooked. And now we have this amazing volleyball community because people took the time to, to run open gyms or do whatever they did. Right. Yeah, no, it, it, it is incredibly special. I think we, we we're, we're all, you know, there was, it's not just the schools, but it's the the camps that you have access to when you're younger as well. And again, like you said, being in Georgetown, you do have the opportunity to bounce to, to different hubs to get different resources. Like we are close enough to Toronto that we can come in and play at Beach Blast or North Beach when those existed. I remember that was like a, a, a great tradition we always had at Christmas time. We'd go down like for a whole week and play every single day over our Christmas breaks at, you know, in high school and go to North Beach or Beach Blast and just, you know, get whoever we could and go meet up. And it's the same thing. You do have options for volleyball clubs. You don't have to play at Impact. You can go to Oakville. You can go to Hurricanes. You can go to Pac-Man. You can go to Guelph. Or if you're Jake, you're crazy. You can go to London from Georgetown. Or if you're Andrew Richards, you can come from London to Georgetown for a season. So it it can uh, it, it, there there are a lot of opportunities to, to to balance. I mean, we're not quite Wyerton, where Johnny Pickett is growing up playing his entire career in a town of. 
less than 5,000 people. Um, and then now making it kind of as a, as a, as a stud, not just an indoor, but obviously on the beach. Well, man, this is, this has been great to have you. Uh, obviously we need to have your brother on the show so we can recap the madness and awesomeness that was Fisu. But, uh, if we had to separate you, I'm glad we got you first. Cause I think you're a better storyteller. So, uh, and I mean, he's still playing and carving his niche where maybe he can't say his risky things. We're like, you and I have, have nothing to lose. We can talk about whatever. Oh, exa- exactly. Exactly. We can make fun of Pierce Johnson all we want. And, and what are they going to do, right? I mean, never to his face, but over the podcast, never absolutely. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now that he's in Portugal, I feel totally safe. <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's, he's a world away, and we can support him from a, from a great distance. <laughs> so thanks, man. Like I said, we'll have to have you back on Sharp Cuts because you and I have to do an OVA pre- or excuse me, an OUA preview. But uh, just off the top of your yes. head, who is looking good either in men's or indoor, uh, or men's or women's, excuse me, indoor volleyball this year? Well, I have to comment. It's neither here nor there whether the Windsor Lancers are going to be good this season. I hope they are because my brother's on the team and I have to cheer for them. But uh, I think they are going to win the prize for the oldest ever OUA team. Um, <laughs> just looking at some of their their more recent additions with Zach Albert and Stephen Carey, I saw on the recruiting charts. Um, I think they, the average uh, academic year of their starting lineup could potentially be like a, like a seven and a half year or something like that. So they're going to be a... Uh, they're going to be one team to watch for sure. Um, obviously, Mac and Queens are going to be strong. But I, my dark horse pick for for this year to go at least to the final four is Nipsey. Bold. Do you think Jackson's going to have a big year? Like, you think they got some yeah, other horses? I'm I'm a huge Jackson fan. Um, I'm I'm a huge fan of of the of the Nipsey program. Um, I've I've I think they've they've had a lot of teams that are close. And I think they they are a lot of they play a style of volleyball that is conducive to upsetting a team. So even if they're not consistent game over game, I think they have the opportunity and they have the firepower to compete with the best teams. I mean, anytime you've got a Jackson Young and you've got a, a top three player in the league, it's kind of to me, it's kind of like having a, a Giannis Antetokounmpo or a Nikola Jokic on your team or even a LeBron James dare I say you know you have a player like that you can win any game I'm not saying you're going to win every game but you can win any game and I think that's always a dangerous thing and that's why if I'm a betting man which I am I would put money on Nipsey going to the final four on the men's side on the women's side tougher Sennel um I'm admittedly not as much of an expert, but from what I saw at the end of last season, uh, we watched a lot of a lot of women's volleyball in the second half of the year last year. Um, I like Western. That's probably my pick, just because um, I thought they had a couple of really young players who looked really good last year, a couple of really strong outsides. I know Janelle was there last year. I actually don't know if she's back or not. With COVID, I can't keep track of eligibility and what she did at Fanshawe. I can't keep and, track of yeah. eligibility. Yeah, I, so I have no idea whether she's there or not. I thought they had a couple of really strong, I guess, first. I don't even know. I guess they could have been second years that were in their first year of eligibility last year. We're going to be seeing a lot of the same athletes for a long time just because of the nature of it. Um, I'm glad you said oldest team in the OUA because uh, I'm convinced there's a team in the RSEQ who's going to be way older than Windsor. But it sounds like Coach Gravel was open for business in the transfer portal if all the athletes deliver who the rumors were. Yeah. Oh, exactly. He's yeah. He's taking full advantage of, of the COVID rules and eligibility. I know that they had another guy come in from uh, from Winnipeg, perhaps one of the the Koski brothers. I think yeah, uh, city of Winnipeg, but uh, I think he was a University of Manitoba guy. But yeah, 
Right. Yeah. He was from, I knew he was from Manitoba. So yeah, I know he's coming as well. I don't know if he'll be playing. I know he he's more of a true transfer where he might have to sit out a year now that the COVID rules are up. Uh, but I know for sure we'll be seeing some some old man action down in Windsor this season. So uh, I'm excited to see to see what that looks like because those are guys that, that I grew up playing with and somehow they're still playing volleyball, which which I love to see and it gives me hope. Maybe I'll go back and do another degree just for fun <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Well, well that, that, that was always the dream. We always joke that, you know, we all saved, you know, like Jake and I saved a year of eligibility. We'll go back when we're like 30 and do some sort of degree, find a school that needs, that needs us and, uh, and, and play for a year or two in, in, in the older years. I mean, Garrett still has a year of eligibility. Maybe I can fill up water bottles. I think we could, we could find a situation where we, we could cobble a team together. If we had the budget to make t-shirts, I think sharp cuts should join the university of Windsor and we could have a slogan like new gym, but old guys or something like that. There's yeah, well, that's a good slogan. I know that I know Windsor's got their alumni game coming up in, in a week, uh, in, week to open up the new facility. Yeah. To open up the new facility. They got a bunch of alumni coming back. I think it's a bit of an annual thing. Uh, but I know, I know, I was talking with Jake and Steve the other day. The troops are already flying. I know the, the young blood uh, is ready to win, even though we were joking that the, the, the existing Windsor team might be older than the alumni. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think that's going to be maybe the joke all year is just the age of that Windsor team. But we'll see how they perform. Uh, but yeah, Nipissing's my dark horse pick on the men's side. But uh, and on the women's side. I like, I like Western. So I'm hopeful we'll look back on this podcast in, in six months. And we'll call me a bit of a prophet. That would be really exciting. Okay, well, yeah. If anyone's running an underground OUA betting site, I, I think uh, you just uh, made I, I, any back. To- hey, if you know a few more people, I'm, I'm always looking to start an OUA fantasy. <laughs> I think that would be a lot of fun for a season. I, and you're a guy who has the technical know-how, but I was just thinking any wins are on a back-to-back game. Obviously their percentage is going to go way down because these old guys aren't going to be rested and recovered. Yeah, that's going to be tricky. I mean, I can see them definitely, you know, you play one, it's like the Jays, you play one guy one night, you play the other guy the other night. You never, you never, you only play them the same weekend when it's a single game. You got, it's got to save your bodies, but it's load management. <laughs> the whole team's on load management. Uh, hey, Windsor had a little bit more load management last year. Maybe they would have been back in five sets, but who knows? Well, rumor is they needed a left side, and I think Stephen Abrams was auditioning at the Mega Bowl and just didn't take the job yet. So, yeah, exactly. Well, he's zero two as a left side in the Mega Bowl, so I know Coach Gravel is probably a little wary about that statistic. <laughs> but uh, don't don't tell don't tell him I said that. <laughs> Well, buddy, this has been awesome. We'll call it there. Uh, thanks again for joining the show and, and hopefully we'll be back on soon. Yeah. And I appreciate you having me on. Thanks anytime, Josh.